You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. Most of you know my wife and I's story. Um, Just just to keep it very short today, I didn't really... um, uh, plan on speaking for too long, so that should only take up about an hour. Um, just very, both of us, just very grown up, busted, uh, busted families. Um, a wife suffering abuse when she was a little girl in a sexual fashion. Um, a lot of uh, pity party living and addictions in our lives, and broken marriages. Lo and behold, when two sinners enter into the covenant of marriage together without Jesus, it turns out great. Amen. Okay, good. There's a few of you in here that know what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden, out of just deep depravity and brokenness, the lion stepped into our lives and rescued us and redeemed us. Literally from pit living, literally from little boys living in whorehouses as a teenager, an alcoholic at the age of 17 or 18 years old, an abused little girl battling with things like bipolar without it even having a diagnosis and just absolute calamity, violence in our home, no hope for future generations to not live like we did. And all of a sudden, Jesus came in, and Jesus made a way. Amen? From that place, uh, and it's a very long, very weird, jacked-up story, the Lord put on my heart. Uh, I had this vision over and over again when I was a little boy. Um, It was a dream I had uh, often when I was little. And it was um, me uh, at—I would fall asleep, and I would have this vision. It was in black and white, and it was was in 63 when Dr. King was given an I Have a Dream speech in the mall in D.C., all of a sudden, like I would, I would become him, and I was like speaking words, and uh, I could never hear what my words were, but I can see notably that people in the audience were being changed, and their hearts, like people were weeping, and God was like, not God, somebody was doing something in their hearts, and uh, and then years later, that had stopped through my teenage years. And when I became a believer, I was out at a conference in California. I was uh, on fire for the Lord. I was very tattooed and very zealous. I scared the snot out of suburban church people. Literally, uh, snot, just anyway. Um, But in in the realm of that, we were at this conference one night, and I stayed back in the room while the other 10 guys went off to um, be a part of this conference. And the Lord, like, showed up in the room like I'd never seen before, and uh, like on the wall, it was almost like watching a projection on the wall. There was this picture of that scene again of Dr. King at the mall, and it was me again, um, and I was there instead of him. And so, you know, I, I always joke, I always thought I was going to be the next tubby, white Canadian Martin Luther King, which those voices are needed. Amen. Okay, good. Amen. And uh, um, all of a sudden, the Lord showed me that picture again, but this time, I knew what was coming out of my voice. It was the gospel. And as I preached the gospel, people were being changed left and right, not by me being significant, by the words that were coming out of my mouth, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was changing people. And then the voice of God just showed up in that place. Again, like I had never heard, I've heard it a few times like that again in my life, but this was the first time. And the Lord just came in and said, listen, I have created you to shepherd and pastor my broken people. Your life is for my glory, not for your pity party. And I heard it twice. And many of you have heard that story uh, before, but those words still resonate in my heart. Uh, I wept. I called my wife and I said, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor, which was funny because we, we, I just wasn't pastor material in our settings, right? And some of you are like, you're still not, bro. That's okay. I received that. Jesus loves me. It's I know for the Bible tells me so. Um, and so from that point on, it was a long, broken road. Our marriage was still utterly destroyed. It got worse. And in the middle of this calling, God gave us this call to plant this church, Restored Community Church, based out of 1 Peter 5.10. And 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory through Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, he himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So if you think about great verses to start a church on, uh, those are probably not the ones that you would grab first. But the Lord was speaking a very tight word over us, and that was, Suffering happens but there is power that comes through those who suffer, who would submit and obey my name that I will do great things with on the earth. 
And that's literally, I mean, everybody's like, oh, you're so broken. Like, read the Bible, right? Let's, can we, are we over that from the 90s now? Everybody's busted. You all stink. You've all got issues. You're all sinners. You all need grace, right? Anybody that doesn't need a grace, praise God that I'm in the right room. Amen. And so we started uh, after a huge break, a huge opportunity where the devil broke into my home and I almost walked away from all of it. And God restored all of that. Oddly enough, this team of whack job people were still down to do church with my wife and I. We didn't have any support. We didn't have anybody that was standing behind us. We had one pastor in town that was a friend of mine that lent us his trailer. And we went to Walmart and grabbed some uh, uh, cheaply made bins, moving bins. And we had a cart. And so our ganky little butts would go into Lawrence Elementary School every Sunday with our stuff. By the way, I'm still mad at some of you for not showing up to help load and unload the trailer. There's grace in that journey, amen? People showed up until it snowed, and then that was horrible. First time we ever baptized somebody at the school, we were at Lawrence Elementary, and we had to figure out how to, get a, uh, how to fill up this tub. And from what we knew, there was, no, um, there was no internal place where we could fill up this thing. So Ty and I had the great idea of we would fill it at home with hot water uh, on the back of a trailer. Hey, I know, that's, hey, we're stupid idiots. Okay, uh, fill this thing to the brim, cover it with a tarp, Mind you, it's snowing and icing outside. And then drive that said cart on the trailer to the school, unload it off of the trailer on a cart, get it inside, and hopefully it will still be warm by the time we baptize people. That did not work. (laughs) It was half full by the time we got it inside, and it was icy. And I think one of my kids, I don't know if it was Kale, one of my kids got baptized that year, and uh, all I got to say is things. Uh, all right, <clears throat> it was very, very cold, and uh, can I? What can I say? Uh, uh, but um, just things like that. We were, we honestly had no business uh, doing what we were doing. But all we knew is this: is like Jesus was faithful to the people who said yes and would respond, and um, and and learning how to, like our number one doctrine that we've learned over the years is the doctrine of suffering. That's not real sexy when you're trying to grow a church. But what happened was we attracted the people that were just like us who are dealing with, and we've heard me talk about it for years, three major things, sexual abuse, recovery, drug addictions, and mental illness. And we, like idiots, would pray for more people like us to come and to be a part of what we were doing. And we'd also pray for healthy people to come and help us do that. We didn't get very many of those. Amen? And so we started this world for this first 12 years. And all I can say, what it was a beautiful mess. It is the best and hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Hardest thing. And over the years... Because Jesus made a way, um, even in the midst of all of our, uh, I mean, I, I would be a case study on how not to plant churches in America. They'd have a write-up of me in Outreach Magazine, you know, they just have, you know, they have like the 100 fastest growing churches in America. I would be the schlep who didn't know how to do church in America. By the way, I'm proud of that now because I'm not a big fan of how we've done things in American church for a long time. But um, we screwed up every step of the way. But here's what I loved about what we did, and many of you can attest to this. We just weren't afraid to fail, right? Just weren't afraid to fail. And here's why. And Steve and I were talking about this. We had breakfast the other morning. It was sweet. And we were talking about the old days at Twin Lakes and over at the school. And um, here's what I think has saved us, Jesus. Amen. Somebody say amen for Jesus. And the other thing was uh, we just had a group full of people that were crazy enough and their hearts were right. But we just wanted whatever Jesus wanted. That was it. No matter what it was, sometimes that got us in trouble because we tried to add 26,000 things. At one time from a church of about 75 people, I think we had uh, life groups going on. We had weekly discipleship going on. We had Sunday mornings going on. We had a van ministry going on. We had a clothes closet going on. We had a medical clinic and dental clinic going on. What other thingy dingies did we do? Huh? 
Food pantry. Oh, yeah, the food pantry thing, which was good for staff snacks during the week when nobody else in the building. Uh, <laughs> we had homeless outreach. We had addictions recovery stuff. Your wife was out on the streets with a van picking up women and bringing them into your home and other homes <laughs> in the church. I mean, literally working with miracles The you know, in recovery houses. Like, we just said, yes! And I don't know if it was always because he asked us to, but it was because he was the one who was in our hearts. And we learned hard lessons that way. But in the end, uh, they were worth it. Because um, back to my original point, Jesus made a way. Every single time, Jesus made a way. In his grace, in his mercy with us, Jesus made a way. A few years ago, um, we were struggling with our identity and who we were and who we were becoming because our original tagline was we were the restoration place, place for busted people, and we just kind of morphed into a busted people place. How many of you know there's a difference between the two things? Over time, our hearts got tired. We had huge call for the nations. Like we had this triad of busted people like us, but Lord also put this thing on our heart for the nations and, and for college kids and young adults and just worship and all these things were supposed to be merged. And for so long, we dealt with the heaviness of, of this, that it kind of became who we were and consumed us. And we're proud of that. Many of you in this room are fruit of those years, amen, of being restored. But at the same time, we knew it wasn't finality. And I remember Jen and I were driving back from Texas one time. We went for a training for some overseas training. And I felt like the Lord broke the name restored off of me and off of my wife. And my wife and I, we just sat in our car and we wept as we were driving down I-35 coming back from Texas. And I was like, God, what does this mean? Like, am I supposed to walk away from the church? Like, what are we doing? The church was okay. We didn't, you know, we we're making bills and people were here and getting discipled. But I felt like the Lord just injected this world of Antioch over us. So we had walked with this Antioch movement for the last 17 years. Antioch's the church movement, if you're new today, out of Waco, Texas. Um, I just got to be with some of our leaders in Europe uh, a week ago. Um, literally, uh, we have some of the most gangster men and women planting churches in the United States and all over the world in countries that you can't even say their names. Our movement has people there laying their lives down for Jesus, literally some of them. All of them figuratively one way or another. Churches being planted in this city more and more. Urban churches being planted from our movement, which has something directly to do with us. Like we are being a part of that and having a voice in what that looks like and will more with time. And in the middle of all that, uh, they came up and said, hey, we want you guys to join us, uh, but we want you to change your name. And that was all at the same time. And I went, <laughs> and that restored thing was like so much a part of my identity for such a long time that uh, I struggled with that. And all of us OGs struggled with that a little bit, right? And then again, like just heaven's nectar, the Lord was like, your identity has never been in that word. Your identity has always been in the one who brings it. Amen? So we felt the release and we talked to our leaders and we joined the Antioch movement. And over the last three years, which is funny because as soon as we joined Antioch in 2019, COVID hit like months later. And so, um, uh, but I will, I will say this, there's so much new life that goes on. Many of you don't even know a lot of the old stories because there's so many new people in our midst. There's so many young adults and God doing things. And we have the OGs here, right? OGs? Right. <laughs> Uh, it's been cool. And here, here's the theme, the ending theme of this story over and over again is like Jesus made a way. Um, I will say this for some of you when I say, oh, geez, and uh, some of you who were there from the very beginning. Hey, if you were at our very first service, stand up. Very first service. Yes, children of mine and children of children's children. Stand up. Stand up upstairs. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the people that were there that first service are, are upstairs working. My wife, Tyson, many other people, Steph. Um, where's Steven? Is he in this room? I was probably out praying or something like that. All right, we'll sit down. Um, so these were, so my children and Brandy. And uh, so that's good. But uh, there were like, 
the rest of them are serving, but there were, there were 12 of us. You guys came along right after that with all your crazy kids into service, and, and uh, the Lord just kept... I, w- I will say this, um, OGs, I was thinking about you this morning. I'll say a little bit more about this tonight because I, I will start crying a lot and rambling, but... Um, couple things. One is the fruit that we're seeing now and that we will see have come from the prayers of you in the very beginning. Number two, the fruit that we see is... Listen, some of the new generations and the next generations, and, I, and those of you that are listening and those of you who listen to this later, some of them may never know what we did and what God asked us to do, and that's okay. We're not here to paint a big story about us and talk about how great we were back in the old days. That's how churches die when the older generation won't release it to the new generation. We're not those people, amen? But um, they will never know, and that's in fullness, but that's okay because that was the honor of our lives to be that stepping stone generation. Amen? So all my new people, love you. You never know how gangster we used to be. That's all I'm going to say. We were gangster. And uh, we got our butts kicked, but Jesus made a way. And it's an honor. It's an honor that our kids and their generations of grandparents, grandkids and stuff will not know because we were the Mayflower generation. And by the way, many of us in here are the Mayflower generations of our families. What I mean by that is we come from brokenness and tyranny of the devil, and we, we put a foot in the ground, and Jesus led us out to say, listen, we will no longer live under the tyranny of the devil. We will be pioneers. We will go make a new way in Jesus' name so the generations that come after us don't have to deal with that. That's what's in this house. That's what's in this room and us, in our older generation, we might have done it sloppy, and our kids probably have a lot of dirt on us. Amen. But at least they don't have to live with it in their lungs for the rest of their lives. Or my grandkids, or your grandkids, or your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids. Amen? Jesus made a way. I have never understood people who take the church lightly. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand because when you see biblically and what has happened over, over the lifetime that we've just learned the hard way in the last 15 years, it's like the only way things break, like legacies and families, they only break through the name of Jesus. And guess what? He does that in the local church. The local church is the gift of God to his people. It's not something that's a happenstance. People treat it like it's a menu. I want this, 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 and this, and if I don't get this, this, and this, I'm just going to bop over to somewhere else. That is not the heart of God for people in his church or outside of his church especially. We live in a maverick generation where everybody's like, well, I've got Jesus. I don't need it. You don't understand. You can't love him fully without loving his bride. And people will say, well, it's messed up. Well, welcome home, right? Welcome home. Like, it is messed up. We're sinners. We have grace for one another. We, we call each other out. We need spiritual mothers and fathers to help us walk out of the darkness into the new age. That happens in the local church. We need people who would encourage us and love us and discipline. Ah! Discipline us. Everybody say discipline. discipline. Amen. Doesn't it make you just feel, for those of us that are real rebellious, every time you just say that word, still got a little something-something in your belly, Right? I'm going to kick against that right here. Um, <laughs> um, I've got like 12 pages of notes, so I'll stop there. Um, many of us didn't have family before this, but Jesus made a way with this house. Amen? Uh, many of us, um, I remember myself, pre-Jesus, I was on a collision course of anxiety and death. Didn't want to live. Hated this earth. Was afraid all the time. Drowning myself, Jesus made a way. Amen? A bunch of nobodies became somebodies because our daddy is the king in this house. Amen? Amen. We were powerless, <laughs> but Jesus made a way. A bunch of people who used to get tossed around by the enemy and the devil, guess what? James 4, 7, submit yourselves to who? To God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's what I like about this house. Because we are 
people who know how to hold on to Jesus and resist the enemy and watch his punk bottom flee. No longer afraid of the enemy. Amen? Because our daddy could kick his butt. Somebody say amen. Somebody say that was weird. Thank you. And um, last but not least, nobody in this room had any business as being a part of changing our city and changing the nations, but Jesus made a way. I have stood, and we have baptized in our house, in a, this house, meaning not necessarily this building. We have, we have baptized so many addicts that have been set free, right? We have baptized child abusers who have been set free. We've baptized gangsters that have been set free. We've baptized soccer moms with living hidden lives who have been set free, liars. We've seen neighborhoods change. We've been to the nations. We have stepped foot in Indonesia with a bunch of recovered drug addicts and people with issues. And the God of heaven used those people to bring change to the nations in Greece, right? In Ukraine, right? In the middle of war. God made a way with what's in this house. And all I could say to that is happy anniversary. And for those of you that are a part of the next 15 years, praise God that the foundation, I believe, has been set. And God has, we've had so many words spoken over us in the last 15, 17 years about what God's going to do something with us in our city and in the nations and stuff over me, all this stuff. I believe, honestly, I believe the last 15 years have literally come down to a refining process. And it has hurt. But I do believe that all those things, we are in the season. We had this picture a couple years ago when we became Antioch that we were walking up this mountain and the entire side of the mountain was filled with blood and carcasses <laughs> and it was just nasty, right? And it kind of represented our first number of years. But then I felt like the Lord showed me this picture that we had arrived at the top of the mountain and on the one side of the mountain was death and on the other side of this mountain we were about to walk into was like the land of promise, like the goodness of God. There was fruit and there were generations and there were churches. And before we move on though, I heard the Lord say, turn around and speak to the dark side and thank me for all I've done. We did that in a leadership meeting last year where we sat in the war room and we cried and we thank God for all the stuff on that side of the mountain and praise God for all the stuff on this side of the mountain that's about to happen. Amen? That's what church is. Church is family, right? Church is security and discipline and love and encouragement. And church is life. And I'm so glad to be a part of a group of people who don't take it lightly and take Jesus very seriously. Amen? Today, part of that journey, as I've said earlier, was <laughs> me stepping away, but we have some amazing testimonies this morning and uh, from three people, and I tried to mix it up. So we have uh, some newer folks that many of you need to know more about, and then we have one real old guy named Steve coming to share. <laughs> I'm going to share his testimony. So I'm just going to let them come up here and, and share just uh, quickly, the three of them. And then uh, we're just going to thank God and we're going to continue to worship. Amen. So number one, the most important number one of the day is my sister, Neha Barawala. This is hot. Wonderful. It is. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Um, I just want to say I'm stepping into so much history and getting to see all that God has done and is doing at this church. And I am truly so honored and thankful to just come up and talk about my last few months here and how I got here. Um, so before I say anything, I think y'all should know um, something about me. I feel like I have this burden of being born a skeptic. Uh, and I think I just approach every situation with the question of, can I trust it? Can I trust you? Um, and I think that started... Early on in my upbringing, I was uh, born into an immigrant Muslim family uh, and just growing up trying to make sense of this broken world and a broken family. Um, early on, my dad had an affair and left and started his own family. And so I think immediately the trust of what marriage and family is was broken. Um, and soon after, I gained this new stepdad and stepbrothers and trying to approach a new household saying, can I trust them? Um, and soon enough, I think I began to ask God that same question of, can I trust you? 
Um, and being raised Muslim, I learned that God was this distant judge or a vindictive God sitting high atop the mountain that was just waiting for me to mess up, that was counting my good and my bad, and that I had to do more good than bad to earn his favor. Um, and I was just never, I could never be sure. I could never trust that I knew where I was going or I knew who God was or I knew what he thought about me or felt about me. Um, and I just carry that with me, I think, for a really long time. And when I was 13, uh, I had a really bad basketball injury and I hurt my ankle and had to have many follow-up surgeries and um, very quickly fell into addiction from the painkillers I was prescribed. Um, and I think I found more than just pain relief in those pills. I found a safety that I couldn't find for my friends and my family and my faith. And it felt good until it didn't. Um, and the first people to notice were my teammates around me who loved Jesus and loved me and said they weren't going to leave me where I was. And so they shared the gospel with me over a really long time and invited me to FCA, which is our fellowship of Christian athletes that met at six in the morning before basketball practice on Fridays. And I walk into this crazy room of people who love God. And I was so confused because I didn't love God. And I wanted to know why they cared about the God they followed. And I realized it was because they were confident and they were sure that they were loved by God. And I so desperately wanted that assurance. Um, and so I began digging deep into both the Quran and the Bible. And I'll spare you the details, but quickly came to the conclusion that the God of the Bible must be real. He was the only one who brought true justice and took care of sin. He was the only one who made a plan for his creation and a plan for their redemption. Um, and what finally captivated my heart was God saying that he was my father. And that, that safety and that assurance was one that couldn't be taken away. And so accepting Jesus was the easiest and hardest decision I made at 14, knowing that it might cost me my family. And so again, this journey continued of asking, can I trust you, God? If you take away everything, if it does cost me, can I trust you? And it did cost me. Um, I got clean slowly but surely, and God proved trustworthy through that. When I was 16, I told my family of my faith, and they laughed in my face, and they sent me to camps and sent me to classes to try to undo, and kept me at home, kept me under lock and key, and God proved trustworthy that I didn't need a building to be a part of the body of Christ. And when I was 18, um, my mom and I get into a and I get spit on and kicked out of my house, literally climbing out of a window into the car of my best friend, not knowing what's going to happen next, and God proved trustworthy to bring me home in the next few days, only to once again uh, go to college and get cut off from my family. Um, I continued to prove trustworthy, and in college was really the first time I got to ask the question, uh, what does God want for my life? Because up until this moment, my faith had to be lived out in the shadows, and for the first time, it was lived out in public, and just got to participate in ministry and church and learn what the body is and gain this new family and what it means uh, in Romans 8, when it says we are adopted as children of God, I think I really got to learn that. Um, and that was the first time I, I came to Kansas, um, was after my freshman year of college for a summer. And I just got to work with um, these missional-minded healthcare workers who loved Jesus and loved people and just got the sense that God was calling me to more than what I had thought. Um, and last year, I think what began uh, a really probably the hardest and darkest time of my life, the best that I can describe is experiencing some serious spiritual warfare, beginning the year with demonic dreams and later on deep depression and anxiety attacks, uh, weeks without sleep, um, panic attacks that caused me to pass out and wake up four hours later not knowing what had happened. And I think what happened in this time was my eyes were really open to the oppression and darkness of this world. And I think two things happened. One, that just absolutely broke my heart for the people that don't have Jesus. Um, when I was having these demonic dreams, I had my life group sleeping on the floor of my bedroom, taking shifts, praying while I was trying to sleep. And I had scripture to read and I had music to play and I had all of these tools that people around the world do not have. And I think for the first time felt compelled to go to the nations and to the Muslim people who were born into the same faith that I was and give them the tools and tell them about the God that I have seen that some of them have never heard of. And I think the second thing that started to happen was that in this darkness, I began to really wrestle with hard questions and, and deep doubts. Um, 
And I continued to ask the question of, can I trust you, God? And I became less and less sure of the answer. Last year on my birthday in November, um, I spent my night in a hospital after a car accident late at night. Um, and I remember being so angry and so low and so mad at God that I found myself wishing my accident was worse. And so in that moment, um, I said yes to drugs that I hadn't touched in years. And I found uh, remnants of that false safety that I had in pills that I found a long time ago that I just so desperately wanted again. And so I began chasing that feeling for the next weeks and months, and it was all I could think about. My whole world revolved around my next fix. And so in the midst of this relapse, I was failing out of school, and so my parents once again have cut me off, and I'm, I'm out on my own, and I have to drop out of school, move out of my house, find a job, um, and just find some solid ground beneath my feet. And this whole time, I'm pushing away people who love me and being hurting the people I love and being hurt by the people I love. Um, and I just, I, I couldn't see past the next day. I couldn't see past my next fix. I just wanted relief. Um, and in February of this year, um, it, it was, it was, it got pretty bad. Uh, I'm puking blood in the middle of the night, dropping weight like crazy and nobody knows. And I just, I am quickly approaching the bottom of a pit that I thought was bottomless. Um, and of course, in, in true God fashion, this crazy story, do I have time to tell this story? Yeah. Okay. Um, I witness another car accident, two cars in front of me, this car flips over. I cannot make this story up. This woman is totally fine, um, only by the grace of God. And she's asking me just to go back and forth to her car and help get things out. And I go into her car, which is upside down and I open her console and what falls out, but a full pill bottle and a Narcotics Anonymous six-month sobriety trip. And I just, in the next night, I had this moment on my knees with God, and I felt like it was the, like Jesus said in John 5 to the man, I feel like God was asking me, do you want to be healed? And I think up until that moment, my answer would have been no. But I was looking at a full bottle of pills and the fact that sobriety was possible, and it was a choice, and it was God asking, do you want to be healed? I could choose sobriety, or I could choose I had the means to continue using and probably die. And I, in that moment, said yes, and I've been clean from that day on. And in something that I am so confident only God could do, because I went through withdrawal alone, nobody knew, and I had those pills for weeks, and I didn't touch them, which is the only way that I know it was the Holy Spirit, and it was not me. And so over the next few months, spent my time making amends and reconciling with the people that I had hurt. Um, and on a whim, applied to a job in Kansas in this place that I once loved and would have loved to come back to. And in a day, I got the job and got a place to stay and got connected to Lauren uh, through my friends at Antioch and Waco. Um, and if anything that this last year revealed to me was that I had a good chunk, if not all, of my house built on sand and the storms came and it washed away um, and I needed to rebuild. I wanted to come back to that firm foundation and rebuild the right way. Um, and so within a week of moving here, I'm being asked about joining the D school. Um, and as I'm praying about it and thinking about it, it was just such a clear answer to, this is a safe place to take my questions and my doubts. And Pastor Rob and Randy, y'all already know, I take my incoherent questions to you and y'all wrestle with me and I'm so thankful um, that this is, the season that I get to do that. And I think I've just had this word spoken over um, this next year that I'm here at the very least, my year in D school and my time here, that it's just my Sabbath year, that I've spent the last seven or eight years of following Jesus just at war with my family, with myself, with my flesh. And I just hear God saying, this is your Sabbath year. I need you to rest in me. And what that entails is I have to ask him that question every single day of, can I trust you? for my daily bread, for my manna, can I trust you? And moving here so early on in my sobriety, I was, I was terrified of that. I was terrified of what that would mean, of I have to depend on God to provide. I have no choice. Um, and he has continued to do so. And moving here, um, I was so scared of bringing all the shameful moments, my worst moments, um, and I find this place. 
And all of you know exactly what that is like. And so when my six months came time to celebrate, there was a dozen of you that wanted to take me out to dinner with pasta and brownies and celebrate instead of something that I felt I wanted to keep hidden and keep secret. Y'all wanted to celebrate what God had done. And last year, I spent my birthday in a hospital, and this year, Sadie <laughs> took me out, and all of um, many of you ladies took me out and just spoke love and encouragement over me in such a big difference of where I was the last year and just continued evidence of God providing, um, and in really little ways, just me getting that daily bread, whether that's, I don't know, I'm getting groceries two weeks from now and Noah and Lauren are sending me home with food or my car breaks down and Kayla's fixing it before I can even worry about how I'm gonna pay for it. Um, you guys have just quickly become family. And in the many years that I've asked God the question and in the many years I'm sure I will continue to ask of can I trust him, he has continued to prove faithful to answer yes to that question. And y'all are just the latest testament of that. And I'm incredibly grateful to be a part of what God's doing here. So I love y'all. Thank you. Hey, do, do me a favor now. Stand, stand right there for a minute. Can we stand up and like give, just give her props and love about how faithful she's been? Amen. That's a champion. Uh, next up, um, so, most of you know this, but when I started in ministry, it was middle, it was high school ministry, which I don't do now because I don't like young people. Um, uh, that's not kidding. I'm not. I'm mostly kidding. I don't like little people. I, young people are okay. Um, but um, when I started in ministry, uh, there was these two brothers, Mike and Steve Simmon, and um, uh, Steve was 16 years old. He's a drummer in our worship band up there at the old church, and uh, just instantly took a heart uh, with him. He was, uh, I don't know if you know Steve, I know he's very passionate worship leader stuff, but he's total goofball, and so that's why he and I, I think we speak the same dork language to our wives' chagrin, uh, but I've had the honor of walking with Steve uh, into this man of God since he was 16 years old, and uh, when we planted the church, Steve and Steph came with us as some of our originals and their, and their girls, and have been here uh, ever since. And he is one of my favorite people on the face of the earth. So by the way, tonight we are reordaining Stephen as our worship leader. Again, amen. <laughs> uh, after just uh, some time of a much needed break. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the Steve Simmon. <laughs> My wife thinks she's so funny and sneaky, but literally I sat for about two hours in front of a Christmas tree that was blinking, and I had no idea. I had just I didn't even realize it was up. So she probably could do many things. When I wouldn't know. She doesn't have to be that sneaky. <laughs> so you probably were sneaky, Steph, but I'm probably not, Steph. I know you're watching. Love you. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, Rob asked me to share my uh, share an updated testimony, and um so I just thought of a couple things. Um, really, I, I honestly, it was kind of hard because I was like, I'm not sure if I can do that because in many ways I still don't feel like I'm okay. <laughs> um, that's not funny, but what can you do? <clears throat> um, but <laughs> so I just thought, you know, many people haven't heard my just how I came to know Jesus. And so I thought I'd share that and then just talk about what God has been doing in my life the last uh, year or two. So, um, yeah, I grew up in church. Uh, my parents took me to church and, you know, I believed what I was told, like many of you who also grew up in church. But at some point in time, I started seeing what the world had to offer and it looked a little bit better. And uh, as I started kind of dabbling, I had respect for my folks. So I didn't just like go all in. Plus, you know, you go to hell if you have a lot of fun. So it's like, okay, got to be careful. Um, <clears throat> but basically what started to happen was I wanted this and God said, or you know, whatever that is, was like, no. So I was like, okay. So I couldn't go all in here because I had some respect for my parents and I was not wanting to throw my life away to hell, you know, that kind of tension. And I just kind of came to this conclusion that this whole thing is just an unprovable, can't prove it, you can't not prove it sort of thing that just keeps you under control and you can't have fun or you go to hell. And if you, you know, it's just a gamble, right? So you better play it safe and just hate yourself for the rest of your life. And basically to me, that just 
came to be hating God. I just hated the idea of it. I thought it was ridiculous. It made me mad that I couldn't just live how I wanted. I felt kind of oppressed by it. And um, yeah, so uh, all the, at one point in my life when I was about 19, all the things that I'd been chasing kind of just the rug got pulled out. Right. And so really what I invested all of my happiness in was this relationship and this girl I had been dating for about three years and I was going to ask her to marry me. I just decided that in the last couple of months, trying to make steps to make that happen. And uh, she just randomly broke up with me or what I perceived to be randomly. But anyway, so my I know that sounds cheesy, but my world crashed down. Right. And what actually ended up happening was I just decided, you know, if all of these things that you're going after, if, if, all, if the best is love or relationships or whatever, and that can just leave you high and dry, then what, what is the purpose to live? Like, why would you even want to? So I came to this place where I was like, you know what? I really just don't want to live. And if I quit living, nobody would ca- I wouldn't care because I'm dead. So why not just explore that? And so I thought, well, I probably ought to make sure that there is no God and hell and things because I don't want to wake up on the wrong side of that one. So that's really, I mean, uh, that was, it sounds crude, but that's where, where I was at. I did not want to live anymore if this was the way it was. And if God was real, then he would want to intervene. And if he was silent, then he either didn't exist or he didn't care, either which would take me to the same direction. And so I had been reading the Bible. I had committed a long time at a church camp to, to read the Bible. And I was in, did it basically every day, which is kind of ironic. But um, I was in Isaiah, and I was reading this one text Isaiah 30, 18, and it just said, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion because God is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And in that one moment, God just tore through everything. And it's just an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now I know how to, what to call it, but there was all this love and peace and deep satisfaction, all the things that I was really longing for that never really could get. Um, was being welled up from the inside. It wasn't coming from the outside or something that I was trying to attain or whatever. It was from within. It was from the deepest places of my heart. And it was love. It was it was deep peace, deep satisfaction, deep joy. And then at the same time, I'm hearing the Lord saying, you know, I'm, I'm longing for you, but you keep doing these things and they're bringing you to death. My way is not to, to oppress you and not have fun. My, my way is actually to give you the best satisfaction in life. And in that moment, I surrendered my life to the Lord and um, never have gone back. Um, now, I'm not saying I didn't fall or sin or whatever, but um, I know the Lord now and I've experienced the Holy Spirit and his fellowship with us. And I know that God is real and I know that he is the purpose of life. And that changed everything for me from then on. So that was how I came to know Jesus. Um, and But I also wanted to share just a couple of things that have been happening in the last couple of years. So um, somebody asked me about on my birthday uh, to sum up my year in a word. And it was like, wow, uh, change. Um, so, <laughs> so basically, a year ago, yes, today, whatever, a year ago today, I had another child. Um, I had a full house. Um, one of our other children also lived there. Um, we lived at a different house. I had a different job. I was not a worship leader. I was not leading a house church. And then all of that has changed over the last year. So that, that's, that's a pretty good sum of things. We had another daughter, another daughter get married. But I would also sum it up in this way, uh, the voice of God. And um, I just want to kind of talk about that for a minute. So to preface this, like a few years ago, we started foster care and we had our first round of, of long-term kids. We had three. And this kind of started like a season in my life that was really hard. Um, it was just really tough. And I saw my selfishness really in a way that I'd never had before. There was three children. They were all sweet, but one of them just grated on my nerves. And I felt myself not liking this child. And that's just being honest. And I felt horrible about it. And I kind of slipped into this place of feeling awful about myself. Like I'm really not legit. Like I really don't love God. Obviously I don't love people really. And there was all this guilt that I carried before that because of that, we ended up having to um, stop. They had another family member, so it wasn't like terrible, but I felt awful. We basically said we can't do it anymore after about eight months. And that was just a lot of internal struggle with that. And so there was that, there was being in ministry and worship team doing the same things. And I was kind of getting overwhelmed and tired. And so I just needed a break. Um, we were just starting to merge with Antioch and I felt like I just kind of wasn't really up to Antioch par in terms of like ministry leader, worship leader. And it was apparent that I just needed a break. So we, we stepped back 
in a lot of capacities. And about that time, uh, we took in a little girl named Shy. Many of you <laughs> have met her. Sorry. I'm going to spare you all the details of this, but she just fit us so well. We loved her so much. We had her for two years from birth, and um, we were told that we were it for her. And even, even her family wanted us, her extended family, her grandma and grandpa wanted us to have her. So, um, But six months into it, mom Skyped in, and she started getting involved from, from prison. And the, I'll, I'll just spare you all the details of that. But from that moment on, from month six to mo- month 23, we were in this, you know, limbo state, right? And that was when I feel like the voice of God spoke first. So I, I remember one time at work, I was listening to not Christian music. It wasn't bad. It was just, it just wasn't, right? And I just heard, I was struggling with that. And I heard the Lord say, listen. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, oh, there's a song on. I'll listen to the words. And the words were so sweet. I know you're hurting. I know it's rough. I know you've seen so many things that mess you up, but when stuff's going down, I'll be the one. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I'll do the things that no one else will do. I know it's scary, but you don't have to feel that anymore. You can wear your heart on your sleeve, and I'll protect it. I'll take care of you. So that word was really sweet, and it's been holding me up a lot on that one. And so we just went forward. You know, we we got to love this girl as best as we can until whatever happens, happens. And so we did. Uh-oh. Anyway, in the middle of that, we started looking at possibly moving for some reasons. I felt like the Lord was in it, um, but it didn't work out that time. So about a year later, we re-evaluated and we did that. So we moved. Um, it was kind of a crazy process. So we ended up moving into a different house. Part of that was to be able to start a business in a certain time frame, and then literally the day we moved, uh, within a week of when moving, we had two reputable builders who called, asking what I was doing and wanted me to come work for them. So it was an it was an educated, well researched decision. I promise you. Um, but then we start going on that about a week after Shy left, and when she left us, that was super devastating. Um, but maybe I'll just skip that. But anyway, so we started the business, thought things were fine. Turned out that basically, long story short, I just feel like a lot of people were blowing smoke up my rear. And it's been a very stressful, scary process. And um, about two weeks in, I had all the tools that I couldn't take in my truck left at the job site. About $5,000 worth of stuff was stolen. Um, that's two weeks in. Um, I hadn't even had a paycheck yet. <clears throat> And I'm sitting there in the shower one night. I'm like, I'm just repenting, right? Maybe this was my fault. Maybe I did this for the wrong reasons. Maybe this wasn't from you. Maybe I did this because of this and this and this. And just felt like the Lord spoke again clearly. He said, you had your reasons, but I have mine. And that just stilled my soul. And I was like, okay, pressing forward. And on the move thing, things started to seem a little rough with that. But again, I just kept going back to, you know, the Lord was in that. The Lord told us to move. I'm kind of skipping a lot of details, but basically every time in the last year something has changed and it sounded not so good, I just go back to that, what the Lord has said. He said this, we go forward. And so the voice of God has just been such a sweet, helpful, honestly, I'm, I'm in pieces and I'm I'm barely holding it together, but the scripture says that he holds all things together by the word of his power. And that's what he's doing for me. And, you know, this, this season mostly has been tough because of shy and adding in the worship team. And again, I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel ready. I didn't feel like I had any vision. And then timely conversations, the Lord gives a word. It's like, okay, well, the Lord says this, we're going to do this. So right now I'm just in a season of brokenness, um, heartache, struggle, um, I wish I could tell you that the God had did it this way, and this was the fulfillment of this, and this was the fulfillment of that. I don't have any of that right now. I'm in pieces. The Lord's holding me together just by small, seemingly small, but in powerful words. He said this, we go forward. He said this, I'm worried about shy. I don't think she's safe. He said, I'll take care of you. He said, I'll do the things no one else will do for you, for her. I believe that. And we just keep going back to what did God say, and let's rely on that. And Someday I'll stand back up there here and, and um, share the resolution of these things, I'm sure. But uh, right now, I would just encourage you that God has words that he speaks in the word of God and the Bible, but he also speaks things to your heart specifically that hold you up and bear you up in the toughest times. And hear those words. Say, speak to me, Lord. 
and he will and rely on those words. And whatever happens, happens. I'm not guaranteeing that my business will completely succeed or fail or he might have another thing entirely for me to do. It crashes, I'll do something else. That was his plan the whole time, whatever. I don't have the resolution of those things, but I do know that God said to do this and I'm doing this. I don't know what's gonna happen with Shy, but God said this, we do this. And that's where I'll leave it this morning. Praise God for his word. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes testimonies are great on the hindsight, but something seems a little more powerful sometimes in the midst of it when somebody can just say, God's got me, I don't have it figured out. Amen? And so just reminds me of another heart, just that fostering, and that God has put that over this house, that this from the very beginning, this house has been a house of fostering and adopting naturally, like most, all, all of our leadership families adopted or fostered, and that series has continued, and I got to be honest, a lot of times uh, I ended up horribly, and sometimes it ended up good as far as personal, but in the end, it was all, it was all just the power of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, last but not least, another one of my favorite people. Uh, so Randy and Sadie have been with us this year, but we have been friends over the last five or six years. Randy and I met at a pastor's prayer thing, and we were just crying because we have the same issues. So we sat in the corner, and we cried together, <laughs> prayed together. And, uh, but God's really placed them on my heart and getting to know Sadie and all of his wonderful kids. And um, they are just, uh, they're just lives of blood to our church now that he's been on staff, which means you're all suckered into serving here all the time. Uh, but uh, Sadie's got just a sweet story of just how God's been really um, walking with her also through hard places over the last couple of years in her life. And so welcome... Vice President, First Lady, Sadie Williams. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, so, hey guys, how are you? <laughs> Good. Well, like you said, my name is Sadie. Um, I have to start off with just a couple of quick things because... I can't get too serious too quick, um, or I might cry, which is one of the things that we need to talk about. Um, so one of the things is I am not by any means a polished speaker. So if I say, um, like 25,000 times, please forgive me. Um, and if you see me shaking, no, I do not need any medical help. Um, I am just nervous as all get out. So there we go. I also typically can't speak without crying, so just warning you on the front end. Um, but as I was preparing for speaking today, um, I feel like the Lord was really wanting me to kind of look at this overarching theme um, for just my testimony in general. Um, and oddly, not oddly enough, um, that theme was actually in one of the songs that we sang this morning. Um, and that theme is that what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Um, and that seems to just be like the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness in my life um, these last 33 years. Um, so I grew up um, going to church. Um, I can't remember a time that I wasn't in church. Um, so I always grew up with this knowledge of God, um, but it was a head knowledge, right? I knew him, but I didn't know him intimately. Um, I didn't know my eyes were open um, to the depravity of my own sin and my need for him as a savior. Um, sadly, that that didn't really come to fruition until um, I lost my dad at a very young age. Um, I was 14 years old when my dad um, passed away, and um, he suffered for quite a long time. And um, so those years were very difficult. Um, and once he passed away, he, by the way, was the person who always brought me to um, church and always, you know, taught me about the Lord and um, things like that. And um, I didn't see it then, but um, I am able to see it now that I had a decision that I had to make, right? Um, I had to decide, was I going to go my own way or was I going to actually really pursue who this Jesus guy is? Um, 
And so praise God, even in the midst of my not knowing um, those things, like he um, did call me to pursue him. And so um, over these next several years, I just began to really unpack all of that. And um, I can say that truly my eyes were opened to the depravity of my own sin. And I heard the gospel for the very first time where my eyes were open um, and I was able to see my sin for what it was, hate it and want to just, you know, follow him and, and what he has for me. And so it wasn't anything crazy. I don't think it was really just this one time thing. It was just over years and years of the church and, and people pouring into my life, even when um, I was kind of at a very low, low place. Um, so that's just one of the many stories that like where the Lord or where the enemy, excuse me, bad, um, where the enemy meant for evil, um, God meant for good. Um, now does that mean that he caused, you know, my dad to die just to bring me to him? No, but what the enemy meant for evil, what he meant to steal, um, me and take me away from knowing the Lord, um, God used that for good. And I can think of so many other stories of, of his faithfulness, but honestly, in, in preparing for this time, um, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to focus on the last year and a half um, of my life because um, that's where, honestly, um, most of the amazing things that he's done have been um, revealed. And so about a year and a half ago, um, I found myself in a very, very dark place. Um, I was just riddled with anxiety, depression. Um, it was a culmination of my own sin, of pride, um, and not wanting to admit that I'd been neglecting myself for years. We had, Randy and I had served in ministry for a long time, and it was this constant pouring out um, and not taking care of my own spiritual and mental needs and allowing people to pour in, right? And so just these past hurts that I hadn't been dealing with, ministry, pouring out, ignoring those, and then um, physical pain. Um, I've dealt with a lot of um, health issues for a long time, and that just wears on you. <laughs> um, many of you who have dealt with the same thing um, know what that's like. Um, and I was so frustrated with myself because I knew the Lord was there. I knew him. I knew him intimately, but I just couldn't get past this. Every day I would wake up with this sense of dread and hopelessness, even though I knew, again, right, knew that the Lord was near and that he was good and that he, you know, was hope. I was just so overcome with the lies of the enemy and like, you're not worthy. Like this, things are never going to change. Like you're never going to be able to get out of this and just constantly just allowing those things to flood over me. And, um, in those times when I was so low, um, I knew in my heart of hearts that I could never take my own life. Um, but I sure thought about it. <laughs> and I was like, God, I wouldn't be mad if, you know, I just weren't living anymore. So I don't have anything to live for. And um, I'm just so tired of dealing with all of this. And I'm, I'm just so tired. Um, and for a long time, my pride, that sin of pride did not allow me to um, step outside of that and, and ask for help. Um, but eventually I did, despite those things. And um, you know, I, I did, you know, talk to my doctor about that and, you know, we, we use tools that, um, that are not bad things. You know, I started going to therapy. I did, um, start on some medication and obviously those are not bad things. Um, but I knew in my heart that those were just tools, right? Those weren't going to fix, um, the, deep issues that I had. Those weren't going to be able to fix, um, fix me <laughs> that I was going to need a real true encounter, um, from the living God. And that was the only, um, thing that was going to heal me. And so, um, the next several months, uh, we did lose, um, 
so many things. We lost a church family. Um, we lost a very close group of friends um, and a community to call home. And um, that just kind of allowed those things to continue to spiral. Um, and that's honestly where we found ourselves when we stepped foot here into Antioch. Um, so yeah, you guys got to see the worst of all of that. Um, but um, I just, from the moment that we stepped in here, like the Lord has just began to lovingly tear down walls and lies from the enemy um, that I had believed for so long um, and replace those with truth. Um, and I began to hear his voice honestly clearer than I ever have before. Um, I still struggled, though. I still felt myself slipping. I still was wrestling with this sense of pride and unworthiness and um, so on and so forth. But um, kind of fast forward to the fast that we did before World Mandate. And uh, I was praying and I... Um, the song by Carrie Job, Heal, Heal This Land, I think it's what it's called, right? Yeah. Um, came on, and um, ironically enough, I was reading in Scripture in Second, Second Chronicles when it talks about the Lord um, healing the land, and um, it just, everything, and I think it was even that Sunday that Rob had talked about healing, um, and just us really focusing on this time of healing, um, and I felt the Lord say the words, I want to use you to heal the land. And I almost audibly laughed. I have to confess to you guys. I was like, okay, no dis disrespect, God, but um, not me, right? Surely that's for somebody else because um, I'm still so broken and, and I don't know how to do that. Um, so um, kind of just mold on that and thought about that. Well, fast forward again to world mandate. Um, I went in really with like open hands um, and an open heart. What the Lord wanted to do, he used so many people in this room to speak encouragement and life into me, and I felt his presence so near. Um, we went into this prophetic time um, and really sweet time. Randy our son Noah and I got to do that together. And um, I've honestly never felt the Lord in his presence like I did um, in that time. It was like he was sitting with me, speaking to me the things um, in my heart that he knew that I needed. Um, one of the gentlemen said that he sensed a healing need in me and began to speak words of healing, things that only the Lord would know, um, things that only the Lord would be able to speak in a way that brought more healing um, than I've ever encountered in my life, honestly. And he said the words, the Lord is proud of you for clinging to the faith that he heals. The team prayed for healing over me and that what the enemy was trying to claim would instead be a launching point into my ministry, helping people to heal from the very things that I have sought healing from. And I can genuinely say, you guys, that I have not had one day of that sense of dread and hopelessness and just not wanting to live since that moment. What the enemy meant for evil, God is going to use for his good. This time of healing that I've needed, that I've sought, that I've longed for for so long, God is actually going to use that as a launching point for my ministry, and I get to be a part of that. Not because of me. It's not about me. It was never about me. It was about him because he's so worth it. I have more joy, more peace, more hope. And that's not something that could come from me. I tried, you guys. I tried. I tried that. I couldn't do it on my own. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because God is the giver of life. 
and the father who loves to give good, give good gifts. And honestly, it's just so overwhelming to me as I look throughout this room. I see countless faces of people that have prayed for me, that have encouraged me, that have spoken words of just healing and life over me. And the Lord has used you guys to help my healing. And I am just so honored and humbled and grateful to partner in what the Lord is doing. To partner in his work of reconciliation on this earth. To bring healing to other people who needed healing like I did. Thank you guys all for loving us so well. And the most exciting thing is, is that's just year one, right? Like that's all in one year. So I can't wait to see what he does with the rest. But thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. I love you all. Jesus made a way. Amen. And there's a million more stories in this room. So I thought we would just hear them all before uh, we'll stay here right until our banquet at six o'clock. So uh, uh, just kidding. Um, hey, thank you, you three for sharing and uh, pouring out your heart. I know that's not easy, but uh, hopefully that you guys were stirred. I pray that you would encourage them. And, and uh, man, I hope that some of you who didn't know those three in any way or maybe a little bit got to know them a little bit more. Um, we're just going to go into uh, a time of, of worship. Our worship team, come up. I don't usually say that, so just come up now. It's awkward transitions, right? Um, <clears throat> but here's the deal. Um, many people think that the church is deteriorating. Many people think that we're in this big faith crisis, and I'm just going to tell you right now, no, we're not. The church is alive and well. Jesus is moving. Uh, we're just one snippet. Uh, the power of God is roaring across China today. The power of God is roaring across churches in this city today. And don't let anybody fool you. Not every building that has a sign out front is necessarily what I'm talking about. But there are Jesus-loving, uh, God-moving, spirit-following places all over this earth that are growing, that are healthy, and that are actually post-COVID getting more serious about the gospel and living on purpose than we were before. So COVID is a gift on the flip side of that, if you understand that. Like the, the, the malleable, the, the, the thing before the facade is dying, and the church of Jesus Christ is rising. So don't let anybody think just because what your Republican, Democratic beliefs are, good on you, that's good. You believe what you believe, but in the end, that doesn't define the church of Jesus Christ. He does, and we are a part of that because Jesus makes a way. And so are things bleak? To the earthly eyes, they are. But listen to what we just heard today, the testimonies of God's people over, over again. This room is full of people that have come out of fatherlessness and motherlessness and abuse and being abandoned by their families, divorce and thing after thing after thing. Jesus is on the move today just as much as he was uh, when uh, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. He's moving. Amen. And this is our tribe. And so uh, why don't you stand Let's just God give God a shout of praise. Yeah. 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 Yeah.